I wanted to ask you a question. You know, sometimes we have a thought of our hearts and we believe that in Ephesians that God answers, excuse me, that God answers the thoughts of our heart. In the sense that you can think, oh God, I don't have any food to eat. What can I, how wish I could get someone to get me a food and then suddenly someone just gives you a food. That means you've made a prayer in your heart and then that gets answered. Now my question is this, Sometimes in your heart, we still think evil in our heart. Mm-hmm. You know, you see yourself in the, in your heart. You're thinking all sorts of evil, like oh, like all sorts of evil. You know, in your heart. Now, if you're thinking evil in your heart, and is that classified as a sin? Like, do you think if God, because in that uh, scripture in Acts when uh, the, this uh, Simon, I think is his name, the guy that wanted yeah. to buy the magic, yeah. wanted to buy the gift of the Holy Spirit. And they were telling him that, yeah, they were telling him that he should uh, repent from his thoughts. So he began to give me a couple of questions. Like, because sometimes I see myself, when you're lost in thoughts, you're thinking evil things and you're like, oh God, God, God forgive me and all that. What if that should take place at the point of thinking? And you do not get back to say me. I don't know if you get my question. That's it's been in my heart for a while now. So I don't know. Okay. Any thoughts on that? I think I believe it's a sin. Okay. Why? Because the Bible says that you're going to be judged based on what you've thought about, your actions and your words. So I think it's the same. Then you start thinking of something evil. Okay. Um, yeah. Any other thoughts on that? I'll, I'll, I'll come back to... Alright, go on. Okay. I'll talk later. No, 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 go for it. They are talking. So I will They've gone quiet. No, no, okay. I... <laughs> so basically, yeah, what I was going to say is to what um, Mrs. Nato said. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes these thoughts are not our thoughts. They are straight mm. thoughts that the devil puts in our head. I listened to a sermon um, recently and the man said, the secret to overcoming thoughts, whether positive or negative, is to ignore them. When you ignore your thoughts, it dies. Sorry. When you sometimes you don't necessarily think of evil or or or, or envying your friends, but sometimes the devil puts it in your head, and then you find yourself thinking about it. You find yourself thinking about it that way. The thought and the focusing on it might be sinful, but the thought itself, the straight thought that comes to your head, I don't think it's sinful. Because um, what does what does the Bible say? The Bible says that um, the devil comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. It wouldn't come physically to you and kill you and steal you and destroy you. It still so you, it, it, it creeps into your thoughts. It creeps into the confidence God has put in you. God has told you you are the head and not the tail. But he tells you, oh, 
you had a seat in your whatever cause. How do you think you know the head? How do you think you know the tail? Or 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 you've been applying for jobs and getting rejection. It it, it makes it, it makes it makes your it makes situations that 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 God is helping you go through to realize who you are. It makes them feel as though they are failures in themselves. Say, for example, if a if it's about a couple looking for children and they haven't had children all, all the while, I'm sure the thought the devil be putting in their head is helping them see their value, they're placing the value of their lives in the children they haven't had. Whereas, no, so whereas, right there and then, they are valuable in the life they're living without the kids being present. So, I, I, that's that's my own thoughts. Like, yes, yeah, sometimes you have to be strong and think good. But I think the devil, um, the devil. I think the Bible said somewhere that um, we should submit, we should, sub, we should subject all thoughts to the authority of Jesus or something. Mm. Yeah, it, it means that even God knows that sometimes these stray thoughts come, but they are not ours. What I do is when they come to me, I don't own them. Because because sometimes when, when these thoughts come, say for example, when I, was, when, I, when I hadn't had a job yet, and, and I've been applying and things, and I'm, and when I go to church, I hear testimonies of people applying, having two jobs or some of the jobs they have. And to me, yeah, the devil started to make me, give me thoughts on how that maybe I'm not writing it properly. I, start, I started to put too much pressure on myself. Mm. But then the Holy Spirit helped me to see, and the, the last thing I'll say, sorry, because I know I ramble a lot. The last thing I'll say is that the devil's voice is most times louder than the Holy Spirit. It's most persistent. That you, that's why you think they are your thoughts. It, it will keep saying it and making it look palatable. If you don't agree one way, it will suggest another way where you look at it until you finally agree. It's the agreement to his the the, the straight thoughts that makes that makes you sinner in the sense that that, that is sinful. Because we should be wary of it. We should be we should be discerning enough to know when these thoughts come and when and immediately reject it and not just dwell on them until it until they take root. But okay, I'll mute myself now. Thank you. Thanks for the thoughts. Um, any other contributions, Doctor Henry? Uh, I would agree with what the last speaker have said, and what I would also like to add is in Second Corinthians chapter ten, yeah, verse five. Yeah, it says, "We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We mm. capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ." So, and also in Galatians chapter 5, I think he was talking about the war being uh, our minds or our thoughts being at war mm. between uh, two forces. Yeah. And the other thing is, I would also like to imagine, because I've heard a lot of people say, not like I agree or disagree with uh, Matthew chapter 4, when the temptation of Jesus Christ. Like it was a, it was it wasn't like a physical uh, event, but it was happening in his mind. But yeah, I don't know how true that is or not. But uh, if that's true, I would think that it's not like natural for us to like have all manner of things going across our mind. But it's all about how well is your spirit to like discern between what you have to take in and what you don't have to take in. Uh, I think that's what uh is most possible i think what what we get judged is our spirit man so we need to like make sure that you are uh, spirit is like properly aligned to know when the thoughts are not of god and once you need to like discard and once you need to like abolish yeah mm -hmm. 
Thank you very much. That's that's helpful. Um, Sister Ife, any thoughts? Same thing. <laughs> same same. same. <laughs> okay. Hi, Amanda. She said it all. She's fine. Okay. Good. Good. Thank you. I got to say any thoughts. <laughs> Okay. Um, what? <laughs> okay. Uh, I like I like that uh, Dr. Henry took us back to the Bible. I mean, when we are talking about things like this, it's always good to go back and 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 get and ground whatever it is that we are saying in God's word, so that we are not just. Um, sharing our opinions as it were it doesn't matter what i think about what any i mean about anything really what matters is what god thinks about it and it helps us to to understand of course in parts we never fully know he has all the answers that being said um i think there are two issues that are going on here that i thought to address one is the issue of of um coming to a point where we understand our salvation in a way that in a way that grants us or that gives us this assurance this deep seated peace of our new status um, by that i mean when anybody becomes a, a child of god a christian um, now we have to always qualify that and you still hear people talk about being a born-again Christian or being a born-again Christian and very many other qualifications. But really, the point is the moment you come to the knowledge of, of God in the point of you come to the end of yourself and say, okay, I need your help. I need you to live this life the way you intend for me to live it, to glorify you. And you accept the offer of what he has done and the price he has paid on the cross. The, techni- or the, the evangelical time for that is that you become born again, John chapter 3. Now, once that happens, it's, it's a miraculous event, so miraculous that you become a new person. 2 Corinthians 5.17, he that is in Christ is a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. I, I, I like that that understanding should sink so deeply in our hearts. That new person is new in every sense of the word. That new person is born of God. That new person is incapable of doing anything that is wrong. That new person, that new creature is, it can't sin, it doesn't sin. Of course, I'm not saying we don't sin and I will come back to that. But I'm starting from, let's first of all understand what you became when you became born again. You became a new creature. First John chapter three, verse nine. It says that um, he that is born of God does not sin, for the seed of God dwells in him. He goes on to say he cannot, for he is born of God. That person that is born of God is not just us as we know it. It's the true you. It's the real you. It's the spiritual you. It's new. But because this spiritual you still dwells in a sinful body, this spiritual you is still living with your sinful soul, the, the, the way you think, the way you reason, the way you react, the way you process things, your soul is your mind, your will, your emotions. All of that is not saved yet. Your spirit is saved, is new, is perfect. It's like the Holy Spirit. But your body 
and your soul, they are not yet regenerated. For the rest of your life, what you are doing is you are, you are submitting your soul to a transformation by the word of God. You listen to messages, we discuss, we learn together like this. You are serving in church and doing one thing or the other. All of those things that we do, our everyday life, like the message translation puts Romans 12, everything that we do as Christians is towards becoming more sanctified. We want to become more like Christ. We have been predestined, Romans chapter 8, verse 29, predestined to become like Christ. That is, that is who we are supposed to be like. That's our standard. But this flesh will not allow that or doesn't want that. The Spirit already wants that. That's what Paul was describing in Romans 7 when he was saying he, the things he wants to do, he doesn't find himself doing it. The ones he doesn't want to do, which will cause sin, they are the ones he finds himself doing. And, and then he goes on to ask, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he moves on to Romans 8 and gives a beautiful answer. Thanks be to God. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who works not after the flesh, but after the spirit. That person that is not condemned is the spiritual you, is the saved you, is the born again you, is the regenerated you, is a new creature. But the reality then goes on. If you go then he keeps talking about the fact that the spirit and the flesh, they are lusting and fighting and warring against each other. So every one of us is a bundle of warfare. There is a battle going on between your renewed spirit and the way that sin has trained our flesh and our soul to think in certain ways, to reason in certain ways, to react in certain ways. So when someone gets hangry and you know the person to be a tongue-speaking Christian, it's not because the person suddenly became unsaved. It is still that part of his soul that part of his emotions that still needs to be sanctified, that is still undergoing a sanctification process that found expression. And so all of us, we will do things that are wrong. We will think thoughts that are wrong. We will say things that are wrong. We will go to places we were not meant to go, watch things we were not meant to watch, or we have even vowed to stop watching and do many other things that we have said to ourselves or made resolutions, I won't do this again. That doesn't tamper with the reality of the fact that you're saved. And I'm saying that because, I mean, at the bottom of this question, when I hear questions that comes down to, is it a sin? Is that a sin? Is this a sin? In my mind, deep down, I don't know, maybe it's the, the Bible teacher in me or something, or the fact that myself, I had to journey through a lot of ups and downs in my spiritual work with God, and I'm still going through that, basically. But the light broke for me when I came to a place where I can have an understanding that the me that God sees and relates with is perfect. Not because I am perfect. Not because I am sinless. Not because I don't think bad things. Not because I don't say wrong things. But because the price that was paid for my redemption and the regenerated spirit that came from me accepting that is such that is as righteous as Christ. I am in Christ and Christ is in me. That is a settled fact. That is why Paul will end Romans chapter 8 by saying, I am convinced, I am personally and absolutely convinced that there is nothing that will separate me from the love of God. He said there is nothing on earth, there is nothing in heaven, it's not, there, is, there is no angel, there is no demon. There is nothing today, there is nothing tomorrow. There is nothing in every scope of reality that you can think of 
that will change the fact that I am the one that God loves. But we now come down to the reality of we think wrong thoughts. And I like how Anu approached it and, and um, Dr. Henry from the perspective of the fact that it is then no longer you. These things are the residues of our old self, our old nature, our Adamic nature, the nature we are all born with, the nature that naturally rebels against God, the nature that doesn't really want to have anything to do with God. And so those thoughts would come sometimes because the devil wants to challenge our, our newfound faith, what we are beginning to stand on, what we are choosing to believe. I want to have faith. I don't want to be fearful. And then it brings thoughts of fear to you. What should we do with that? The thought itself is not a sin. And it doesn't become a sin really until what we choose to do by virtue of those thoughts. The principle that Paul thought in 2 Corinthians 10, which Dr. Henry read, is clear. Casting down every imagination and every item that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Anything that stands between yourself and the true or accurate knowledge of your, of your Savior, you need, you need to cast it down. And that responsibility falls to us. And how do you do that? Open your mouth and speak the truth that you know. Even if, as at that point, you don't believe it 100% again, keep saying it till eventually it overrides the lie that the devil is bringing. It's, it's the way it works or the way, the way I've heard someone explain or illustrate it to me that made sense is, he said, if you are thinking in your head, you are thinking the wrong thoughts, and then you are also thinking the right thoughts to counter the wrong thoughts, there is every tendency that the wrong thoughts will win and will make you react in a way that you don't intend to react. Until you take it to the point where you open your mouth and begin to speak. When you speak, you, you, take, you nip it in the bud, basically. You cut that flow of thinking. Whatever it could be, it could be anything. It could be an outrightly sinful thought. Or sometimes it will be some, some beautifully packaged lies that the devil just brings away. How about you do this? How about you say it to the person like this so that they can feel how offended you are? How about you do it in this way so that they will know that you are the one that did it? You know, thoughts of pride, thoughts of selfishness, thoughts of lust, thoughts of immorality, whatever it is, it's a whole wide range of things. But the point is, those thoughts are not from your true self. There is a phrase in Romans chapter 8 or chapter 7 that says, consider yourselves dead to sin. Because indeed, the real you, the, 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 the true you, the real self, the regenerated you, is dead to sin. But for us to consider ourselves dead to sin, that's, that's the challenge of the Christian work, really. That's what we want to spend the rest of our walk of faith, however long we want to live. That's what we want to figure out. And it's not like we're going to get it 100% on this heart until we receive glorified bodies, until we see Christ the way he is and put up this body of death and take on the new body that is going to give us. That's when our salvation is complete, really. But we are assured of the fact that he that has begun it, he that has saved our spirits is going to save our souls. He said it and is faithful, more faithful than we can ever be. James said, even in our unfaithfulness, he remains faithful. Um, there, is, there is this other scripture that 
I can't remember the, the reference again, that speaks about that as well and, and reaffirms Philippians 1.6, he that has begun a good work in us will perfect it on the day that Christ comes again. It's certain, it's, it's a sure, sure word. Hebrews chapter 12, verse two, he calls him the author and the finisher of our faith. He doesn't start something and leave it halfway. That was what Paul was mad about when he was writing to the Galatians. Galatians 3.1, oh, you foolish Galatians. How do you think, he says, as someone bewitched you, as someone, here he does, as someone shake with me, as someone placed the curse on you, the message translation puts it like that, as someone placed the hex on you, how do you think you can start this journey in the spirit and finish it in the flesh? So I'm saying all of this to lay a foundation, which is this, you are saved as long as you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. And it is from the reality of that assurance that you receive the power, the ability, the, the, the grace that you need to then live through the rest of your life in a way that glorifies the Father. If you are always having it at the back of your mind that, okay, what if rapture happens now and I'm doing this or I'm doing that, am I going? You have missed the point, in all honesty. You don't intend to, but you have sincerely missed the point because once that thought comes, then the devil finds an entryway to continue to play with our minds and with our thoughts. And so we think those wrong thoughts, it comes as if you are the one that is thinking it. You feel so bad that the way you, the way you go back to God, and in fact, some, oftentimes you don't want to go back because you are thinking, I still went back to talk about this to God yesterday. I, we still talked about this two days ago. If, if I were to be God, I would think this person is not genuine, he's not serious and all that. And you know, gradually, gradually brings more and more and more lies to continue to take us further and further away. But we must ground ourselves in that understanding. There is therefore now no condemnation for whosoever is in Christ Jesus. For we walk not by the flesh. We walk in the spirit. We walk in the newness of life that we've gotten. Um, I don't know if that's been helpful in any way or if I've further compounded or confused the matter or if that was of any help to anybody. And if there's any other question that has come forth from what we have all said, then we can also address. I think that's enough for tonight, actually. So there's no other question apart from related to this one that we'll discuss. Any thoughts? Yeah, that, that was that was uh, that was insightful, sir. It was helpful. Thank you. Thank God. Uh, but uh, can I just yeah, ask sure. a question here? Because you mentioned something which refers to Romans chapter seven and also in first john chapter three yeah and i'll start with the first john part because the place says that he does receive this light does not continue in sin mm. so if you look sin beyond the law and do's and don'ts or the commandments so looking at it like what we do like day-to-day -day activities uh just like i think in the book of jude in the book of first peter they pointed out several things like uh envy kind of things like yeah. that these are like human relations, uh, human uh, relations that, yeah. That, well, if you go back to that romance for seven, he was saying that, okay, I see myself not want to do these things, but I see myself doing those things that I don't want to do. Now, well, I think that's a place in the Bible. I can't remember, I can't remember the reference where it talks about um, that sin has no hold on me again. So yeah, it's the same romance, that, romance 6, verse 14. Sin yeah, so, not sin have dominion over you. Yeah, 
So now the point, the point now is when you see yourself going back to do those things that you've denounced earlier, does it mean that you've not like had dominion over it or is it like a second level of your mind that you need to like be renewed in your mind or I don't know if you could clarify on that part. Yeah, I mean, good question. That's, that's where the challenge is. And that, that's where the devil also really attacks most believers because the answer to, or the solution to doing less and less and less of the things that you say you want to stop doing, the things that you know God doesn't want you to be doing, the answer to doing it is knowing that you are dead to those things. Is that reality? And that comes from you ingesting more and more of the word of God. There, is no, there are no two ways about it. Until we are all intentionally taking responsibility for our consumption of the truth. Sin will continue to have dominion. It's not having dominion over your regenerated self. It's having dominion over your body and your soul because it has always had dominion over them. But the, the saved version of you is dead to those things. It's just you are not yet being able to translate what, is, what has been renewed inside, outside. How that happens is an ongoing, one is not, a, is not an overnight process. You didn't learn the things that, or we didn't learn, don't let me just say you, because this is, this is a generic thing. This is a struggle for me for many years. I didn't learn how to be addicted to the things that I want to now break my addiction from in one day. These are things that have happened repeatedly for days, weeks, years. So the answer wounds, for some people, of course, they, they miraculously get delivered from some certain things. But of course, even if you get, get delivered, say, for instance, from, from an addiction to pornography, that doesn't mean you stop lying necessarily. That doesn't mean the person still doesn't do many other wrong things. And that's another challenge. The devil tries to make us so fixated on our weakness. And it makes it look like this sin is so big and it's so, until you are able to overcome this, you have not, you are not yet really saved. You are not there. And so the more you are also entertaining that thought, the more it's weakening your, you can't even find yourself being able to go to the word of God to study. Because then you are thinking, I'm, I'm deceiving myself. I'm, I'm a hypocrite. But in the reality of it, in the real sense of it, that is when to go to God more. I'll tell you a, a personal experience. One of the ways that, I wouldn't even say one of the ways, I believe it's, Anu? Oh, sorry, I thought she was calling me. One of the ways that, the foundational way that I found an outlet out of many of my negative addictions is when I read Hebrews 4, 15 to 16. And there was one meeting that we had when I read that passage as well again. Hebrews 4, 15 says, for we do not have a high priest uh, that is not touched by the feelings of our infirmity. He says he was tempted in every way. Of course, he's describing Jesus. He was tempted in every way as we are, tempted in every point as we are, yet without sin. And then he goes on in the next verse, verse 16, to say, Therefore, because Jesus, who came as flesh and blood like us, who was tempted and tested at all points, he was tempted with pride, he was tempted with lust of the eyes, lust of the, of the flesh, and the pride of life. Those are the three categories of all the sins that you can think about. He was tempted in all those three dimensions in that conversation that happened in Matthew 4 that you were citing, uh, Dr. Henry. Uh -huh. Yet he did not sin. He had women that were in his inner caucus that were supporting his ministry. According to Mark, I think Mark chapter 9, 
there were certain few women that were mentioned that were like really close to him. When he was in the house of Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10, they were the ones that were there with the disciples. Anything could have happened. He had, he was exposed to different temptations, basically, just like every single one of us. But he did not sin, of course, because he did not have the same sin nature. He was not born with the way we were born. We were born with the same nature that he wasn't born with. He needed to be born without that so that he could pay the price for us because he needed to be innocent, indeed, for him to be able to pay the price for humanity. But then, verse 16 of Hebrews 4 then says, Therefore, because you have a Jesus, a Savior, a high priest that understands that you are vulnerable, that understands that you, you are still flesh and blood as much as you are saved, he says, therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace and obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. And I tell you, for me personally, this is what, this is the, I believe it's the, it's the blow that began to quake the foundations of the addictions that had imbibed over the years. And it was the fact that every time I make the same mistake that I said I was going to stop making, immediately I intentionally go back to God and say, God, I'm sorry. And I know I can't, I can't get over this without your help. I just know that I'm totally helpless, left to myself. I would rather go and report myself to him. Of course, he already knows. It's not like he's waiting for me to come and tell him what he doesn't know. He knows all things. But do that, which before I would have thought that was a very foolish thing to do. I would have thought that was a very insincere thing to do. I would have thought that was a very hypocritical thing to do. But when I read that from God's word, that when you thought you don't need him the most, that's actually the time that you have every reason to go. And not just going, you are going humbly, but you're also going boldly. You are going boldly as a shun to the devil. It's the devil that is setting you up for all these things. It's the devil that is nudging your heart and controlling the, he has a remote button for our, our soul and our flesh because he had control over it all this while when we had the nature of sin. But now that that nature is gone, he still tries his best to continue to press the buttons. And sometimes we yield. But when we know that we have a savior, we have an advocate, First John chapter 2 talks about the fact that John said, I write this letter to you so that you do not sin or you will not sin. But if you sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. In other words, he's telling us, this is the ideal. You are a regenerated person. You are supposed to be sinless. But of course, you will still sin. We will still sin. But when we do, we should remember that we have an advocate with the Father. What that means is go to your lawyer. Let him present your case before. You don't even have to beg him. He's doing that on our behalf, <coughs> two for seven. And so going to God to say, God, I need your two things in Hebrews 4.16, come to obtain mercy and come to find grace. Mercy is you are supposed to be punished for what you have just done. But Christ has taken the punishment on the cross. So you are going to receive a package of pardon, which you don't deserve. That in itself is grace. But the fact that you are not pardoned for what you should be pardoned for, that in itself is mercy. And so the two go together. And the more you continue to go like that, in my experience, the lesser and lesser my affinity or desire for these things was waning. It was just going down and down. It's, it's almost like a chemical reaction. And the devil is an economist. Once, when he sees that he continues to lose the battle over your life, he leaves you for a while, lets you continue, come back and try you some weeks later and see how, how strong you are. So whichever way, once you have zeroed your mind on the understanding that the devil is going to fail, 
whether you fall into the sin, you have an advocate with the Father that you are going to meet that will grant you mercy and grace. And it's not that you are taking this for granted. It's just the sincerity of how you can consider yourself dead to sin. It's the reality of our world, of this world that we live in. And then even if he comes and you are able to successfully withstand the temptation and you don't give in, he has also lost. So whichever way he comes at it, once you, you have that mastery that the devil is and is going to lose whichever way, whether the match ends at 1-0 in your favor or in the devil's favor, you are still the one that has the three points. That's how, that's how you process this in your mind. When you get to that point, I believe that the, the devil has already lost. Because he knows then that there is nothing he can use to cheat you out of your freedom. There is nothing he can use to cheat you out of this truth, this reality of your salvation. And once that is settled, the, the sky is the limit to how far you can go and how much of influence you can be, how much of a tool that God can use you to be in the life of other people. So that's, that's how it plays out. In I don't know if that actually answers the question, but I think I've run I'm trying to say that. If it looks like you have Thank a question you. or something, or a contribution. No, nothing. Oh, okay. Sister Anu, are you still with us? Partially, yes, I'm here. Sorry, I'll join you, my love, very soon, okay? Okay, thank you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, well, if you that single, go and get married. Wait until you're married. That's when it's sweet, though, I tell you. Don't be discouraged. Even the fight, and it's not always like this. So, was it two mornings ago that we talked and talked and looked at our faces and everything? Abi and Tiano. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's that. Um, I, think can, I think we can pray. Time is done already. What's the time? Yeah. yeah. It's um past eight. Wow. I thought it was going to be just like an hour thing. Um. I think we what should pray. Is that Joshua? Yeah, oh, yeah, sorry. I'll put the mute. Thank you. I think we should pray about this whole coronavirus thing that is, that is changing life as we, as we used to know it. <clears throat> um, and really, to be honest, like sometimes I don't even know how to pray about it. Um, I was sharing with, with um, the, the young adults and there's this mentorship group that I know and I run. For the last few days, I, I did a series just trying to give a series of reflections on, on the whole thing. But the central point of the series, and I would, I would send a, an audio message because that was also part of what I shared on in church on, on Sunday. I would send an audio recording of that and maybe the video as well. Um, it was an, a Zoom meeting like this, so for any of us that wants to, to watch and listen. But the central thoughts is the fact that one, we should stay safe, we should stay safe as much as we can protect ourselves. But at the same time, the, the fundamental reality that I see Mommy. 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 coronavirus in itself, worst case scenario, we'll catch it and die. Worst case scenario, and God forbid any of us catches it. But again, it comes to that, it's just like what we're talking about just now. What I was sharing with them is you need to come to a point in your work with God 
where you realize that died. For you to be a Christian means that death no longer has power over you. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? If the devil should do something that makes a Christian to die, he hasn't gained. The person has gained. That's what Paul said. He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Philippians 1.21. In other words, he's saying, if I'm alive, I'm still going to be able to bless people. I'm going to be able to be useful for God. If I die, again, to be absent in the body is to be in the presence of the Lord. There is no other blessing that is bigger than being in the presence of the one I love forever and ever. And so when you get to that point, and I know that's, that's a, a stretch for very many people, but when you get to that point, you understand the fact that coronavirus in itself or whatever it stands for, whatever tool the level wants to use it for, it's powerless over you. But bigger than that, I believe God is doing something, is saying something to the world at this time through this. And so in our prayers, I just want us to, I don't know whichever perspective God is going to lay it upon our hearts in a minute to speak about this. It is our desire that this will come to an end. But it's not just about it coming to an end, that all of us, both the believers and non-believers alike, both the government leaders and the politicians and the, and the royal people, and everybody from the top to the bottom will listen to what God is saying through this. And the message, I believe, will be different for different people according to the stage of life that they are in. And that God will use this to shape life in a way that would help us to, that will give more, more influence for the kingdom of God on the heart in these last days. And I don't know what that will look like. If that will look like churches continuing to meet online than in buildings or something, I don't know. But whatever it is that God, I believe God uses all things together for our good. He uses all things together for the good of the, of the Christians. And that he will use this as well for our good. And if anybody wants to pray out um, to say whatever it is that God is laying on you, speaking to him, feel free to, to do that. Can we do that? Is that am I clear? Just yeah. one minute in liberty. You might mute yourself if you don't want us to hear what you're saying. But just to pray to God over the next one minute, to talk to God, we want him to put an end to this, not until we have gotten what he wants us to get, not until he has used it to shape life into a way that advances his agenda in these end times. Prayers in Jesus' name.